From the studios of Blue Ridge Public Radio, this is BPR News Presents, North Carolina 11th Congressional District Candidate Forum. I'm Matt Bush, and thanks for joining us. For the next hour, we will present you with a condensed version of the two forums we did earlier this month with Republican Madison Cawthorn and Democrat Mo Davis, the two major party candidates running for the currently vacant congressional seat in North Carolina's 11th district, which consists of the westernmost counties of the state. There are two other candidates on the ballot for this race, Libertarian nominee Tracy DeBrule and Green Party nominee Tamara Zwinick. They were not a part of these forums. These events were held September 4th and 5th as Facebook Live presentations on the BPR Facebook page, and you can watch the full two forums anytime on our Facebook page. BPR partnered with Smoky Mountain News and Mountain Express for these forums. Smoky Mountain News staff writer and BPR News contributor Corey Valencourt served as the moderator for both. We'll begin with the first forum, which was held at Western Carolina University's Biltmore Park Campus. I'm Smoky Mountain News staff writer Corey Valancourt, your host for the evening, and I'm happy to be joined by candidates Madison Cawthorn and Moe Davis, who will take questions from our distinguished panel of guests. The first is Lenore Rhine University Equity and Diversity Institute program developer and host of the Facebook show The Asheville View, Aisha Adams. The next is former Asheville Citizen Times political reporter and current Mountain Express contributor Mark Barrett, and finally Pete Callender, longtime political reporter and host of the Pete Callender Show. Our panelists will provide questions to the candidates in alternating fashion. Each candidate will have two minutes to answer and then one minute for each candidate for a rebuttal. Candidates have not seen the questions in advance. The first question of the night will come from Aisha Adams and it will be directed to Mr. Madison Cawthorn. You've been accused of both sexual assault and having ties to white nationalism. How do women, black people, LGBTQIA, and other marginalized communities know that we can trust you, and what experiences do you have in creating equitable policies? Well, Aisha, thank you very much for your question, especially just expanding on all, all of those small cultures and, and minority communities within Western North Carolina. Uh, you know, I, I have been uh, accused of sexual assault, and I, I won't lie to you. In, in high school and after, I did try to kiss a girl. I, I've, I've, I've kissed many girls in high school, and I, I, some of my attempts failed. And, but I believe that there's a large difference in a failed attempt versus sexual assault. Uh, you know, I just got engaged. I'm about to get married coming up in April. And if, when we get married, we're obviously planning on having a ch a ch many children, a great family. And if I have a, a daughter, I want her to grow up in a world where people will have to ask permission to touch her. I think that would have made my high school experience much less awkward if I knew that was a, so a, a question that could generally be asked. But also, if I have a son, I want him to grow up in a world where he's not accused of being a sexual predator just because he wants to kiss a girl. And moving on to the accusations of being a white nationalist. This is something that I categorically reject and I've spoken out many times against racism in both my party and in the country as a whole. You know, I'm engaged to a biracial young woman and to accuse me of hating my fiance and hating my future biracial children, I believe is an insult to most thinking people in Western North Carolina. Uh, you know, oftentimes I've been accused of being a Nazi sympathizer, which I categorically deny. Even CNN and the Anti-Defamation League said that there is really no basis for this attack. And so I believe that we have to ask ourselves, 
what is it about the Democratic Party and my opponent that they want to partake in this character assassination? Is it because they genuinely believe this? No, that's not true. My opponent, know, of course, knows I'm not a Nazi, not a white supremacist, and I'm not a sexual predator. I, I've, I've never done anything sexually inappropriate in my life. But I will tell you, I believe the reason the left is participating in this character assassination is because they cannot stand on their policy, and they want to hide behind the ambiguity, ambiguity of being character assassins. Thank you, Mr. Cawthorn. Uh, Mr. Davis, two minutes to you. Yeah, thank you for the question. I'm, I'm proud to be endorsed by the National Organization for Women by Equality North Carolina. And I've got a record of having fought for uh, equal rights for everyone. I believe that everyone in this country has a right to be treated equally. That doesn't mean equal opportunity, doesn't mean equal outcome, but it means you should have an equal shot at pursuing your dreams. Uh, my opponent you know, had accused me of following orders from Nancy Pelosi and that this is some democratic playbook to try to smear his name. Uh, I've never met, had any contact or anything with any of the women that have accused him of sexual misconduct. So to try to uh, associate me with that is uh, trying to deflect blame, which uh, my opponent is quite, quite good at. You know, being in the military, one of the things, two things that you learn is one is that integrity matters and in telling the truth. And number two is accepting responsibility. So uh, I had nothing to do with the accusations that were made. These young women uh, who came forward were not, uh, I, I don't think they were part of the liberal mob. I've never met Nancy Pelosi. I'm sure she's a nice woman, but I don't take orders from her. I'm running to represent this district and the people in this district, period. Not the party, not Pelosi, not Trump, not anyone else. I'm running to give everyone a fair shot here in this district to be that, to again be that proud, progressive, forward leaning state that we used to be when I was growing up. So the accusations that have been made, I'm proud to say I haven't had to spend one minute explaining that I'm not a Nazi. I've got a record that I'm proud of and I'm running on it. I've defended this country for 25 years in uniform and more years uh, in the civil service. I'm proud of this country, and uh, I'm running to give everyone an equal opportunity and a fair shot. Our next question comes from Pete Callender, and that will be directed to Mo Davis. Good evening, gentlemen. Colonel Davis, on social media, you've suggested Mr. Cawthorn's a white supremacist, a racist, a Nazi, a Nazi sympathizer, or all of those things. You called him a far-right, hateful extremist, alt-right, a bigot, ignorant, a liar, a poster child for Donald Trump's fascism, uneducated, unable to compete, pretty and pampered, lacking any moral core. You describe President Trump as a 100% purebred, worthless scumbag orifice with a racist agenda and a foreign-born nude model third wife. You say the KKK is the base of the GOP, the Trump rallies are Klan rallies, and an event with uh, Reverend Franklin Graham was a Klan rally. And you think that the Make America Great Again hats are the new KKK hoods. You are obviously entitled to your opinions. But those examples are in contrast to your promise to represent all of North Carolinians' 11th district, many of whom are Republicans. So it seems like you're convinced Mr. Cawthorn is a neo-Nazi. You have not explicitly said that. Would you like to? More importantly, do you think this improves the level of discourse in our politics? Isn't this the very kind of behavior 
that you accuse and condemn President Trump of engaging in? And for Mr. Cawthorn, are you comfortable with President Trump's use of personal attacks on his opponents? And how do you represent constituents who genuinely and deeply are offended by Trump's words and deeds? Colonel Davis. Well, thank you, and thank you for the question. It, uh, like you, uh, I used to be a contributor on uh, MSNBC, CNN, Fox, and other networks. And uh, like many folks that get into politics, you, uh, you, know, you have to take a different perspective. And my, my perspective is I'm running to represent this entire district. That's why I was criticized for, on the right, when I went to Black Lives Matter marches, and I was criticized by the left for going to Back the Blue marches. My response was that if you're running to represent the district, you run to represent the entire district, not just the people that like you. And I think if we can do good things that help everyone, as an example, broadband, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. If you don't have broadband, you're behind. And so if we can help folks in this district, which is my commitment, is to represent everyone. The allegations against Mr. Cawthorn, again, the sexual ones, I had absolutely nothing to do with. The others, the, uh, if it was any one of those, and I think you could dismiss it as happenstance, but when you have the SPQR, Mulan Labe, 88 followers, the Betsy Ross flag, the bucket list, the Fuhrer, and using the N-word to refer to his friends, uh, you can draw your own conclusions. And I'll let voters do that. I'm proud of my record. I've got a record of, uh, I spent seven years in the HBCU community. I've got a record as a judge. It's a public record. You can go and look at it where I fought for, to be fair, to call it like I see it, whether it's employers or employees, but to make sure that the rules are applied fairly. And again, by any measure for folks that believe in facts, we're behind in this district. And so my commitment is to work for everyone in this district to make life better. They gave Mark Meadows four terms. I'm asking for 22 months to give me a chance to make things better here in Western North Carolina. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Uh, two minutes to Mr. Cawthorn. Yes, well, again, my opponent is continuing to attack with these character assassinations of, uh, and uh, looking through my text from when I was just recently out of high school, and I referred to my friend with a variation of the N-word that ends in an A. It's something that I no longer use. It was something that I've never used in a derogatory manner. Uh, but you know what, my, my opponent seems fascinated with going through my old text messages and my old history because I don't believe that he really wants to talk about his positions. And when he gave his answer, he didn't really answer any of the part of the questions from Mr. Callender, which was asking him, why did you call a Franklin Graham rally a Klan rally? Uh, it's very clear that my opponent is not from here. He's from Shelby, North Carolina, and he's coming here as a, a, a pseudo-carpetbagger because in this district, we revere the Graham family. What Billy Graham has done for the Christian faith all across this country is incredible. Uh, my very own parents and many people that I know at my church oftentimes go to the training center at the Cove to train with Franklin Billy Graham and the good the Samaritan Purse has done. Uh, but I feel like my opponent, the reason that he is so aggressively attacking is because he knows that he can't stand on what he truly believes. Uh, you know, if you look at what he says at a private fundraiser with his friends as reported by uh, the Blue Banner article that was there, you know, my opponent says one thing in private, but then says, but I can't actually have those positions, whether it's gun control or on health care, on any litany of, of other positions, because then I won't be able to get elected in this district. So that means that my opponent is purposely trying to pull the wool over the eyes of the voters of Western North Carolina in an effort 
to be able to, to disguise what he truly believes. Every single one of my opponent's policies, which I'll go through, are always as far left as they can possibly be, possibly be just with extra steps to get there to disguise it from the voters of Western North Carolina. Thank you, Mr. Cawthorn. Our next question comes from Mark Barrett, and this will be directed at Mr. Davis. Mark. To what extent do you believe that human activity is causing global warming and climate change? What steps, if any, do you support to deal with this issue? Am I... I had the left to me? Okay. Oh. Well, th thank you. Either yeah. one. So <laughs> okay. Actually, I think it is Mr. Cawthorn's. I'm more than happy to go if you'd like. Yeah. Well, that's right. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Valancourt, would you like to change it? Yeah, no, that's right. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's uh, this is actually an area where I disagree with the majority of conservatives and Republicans over the last few decades. Uh, I'm someone who genuinely believes that we need to conserve our earth. Uh, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in, in the Bible, and in Genesis I'm called to be a steward of the earth, and I take that, that stewardship very seriously. Uh, but, you know, I do agree with what President Trump has said, that, you know, climate change is not a hoax, but the Green New Deal is a joke. And my opponent is a firm supporter of AOC's plan that would have the Green New Deal enacted, which would waterboard our future generations with over $51 trillion of debt every decade. Uh, this is something that I, I believe is unsustainable and d would do nothing to actually help our economy. Uh, if you look at anywhere in the world, it t turns out that normally free economies are the cleanest economies. You can see that we're one of the lowest carbon emitters in the entire world, whereas communist China, which, has some, which acts as if they are led by the party of AOC, is one of the worst carbon polluters in the entire world. So that's why I'm proud to be a conservative, because I know that climate alarmism is on the side of the left. If they truly wanted to fix the problems that we're facing, they would embrace nuclear energy. I'll tell you, nuclear energy is a great alternative to the fossil fuels that we're using now. Uh, I do believe that it is absolutely imperative for our country to remain energy independent. Uh, you know, when there was that, the, the terrible terrorist from Iran, the General Soleimani, who was destroyed by one of our drone strikes, we would never have been able to take such decisive action had we relied on the Middle East still for our energy. But now we are a net exporter of energy in this country. But I believe because we're a net exporter, we can move more towards a cleaner economy, which will be better for our world and better for the future generations. Thank you, Mr. Cawthorn. Uh, two minutes to Mr. Davis. Well, again, for the folks out there, my name is MOE, not AOC. And I'm running to represent Pisgah, not Portland. So let's focus on the issues that matter here. Uh, in answer to your question, I believe in science and I believe in facts and I believe that we do contribute to global warming. As you saw last week, I believe it was in the Mojave Desert, there's a picture of a lady standing there next to the thermometer. It was the highest recorded temperature ever on the history of the planet. I believe it was 130.5 degrees. We're seeing it with uh, ice caps melting and with uh, uh, sea level rising. So. I believe that, uh, again, in, in our area, 14 of our 17 counties is above the national average in poverty. And I think green technology is the path forward. We are number two. North Carolina is number two in the country in solar energy production. And Western North Carolina ought to be the epicenter of alternative energy for the East Coast. Those are good jobs that pay a good wage, not just manufacturing, but installing, and they're good for the consumer. We just got our first power bill. We, my wife and I uh, built a house and we put in solar. This is the first month that it's been fully up and running 
and we got our power bill. Last month, it was over $160. Today, it was 16 I think a lot of consumers out there, if you said, how would you like not to write a check to Duke Power every month? For what you're paying, you can put solar on the roof of your house. It's also good for national security. If we can make energy on the roof of the house, we don't need to guard pipelines and shipping lanes in the Middle East. So I think there's an opportunity here to do good things for the economy and for the environment and to leave this place better than we found it for future generations. Most of us come here and live here and stay here because it's such a beautiful area and we have an obligation to make sure it stays that way. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Mr. Cawthorn, one minute. Absolutely. Like I was advocating for in the beginning, I, I label myself as a green conservative. I genuinely believe as, as someone who's up front, coming from the future generations that I want to be able to live in a world that is, has clean air and I can travel almost anywhere and not be worried about heat temperatures rising in those areas. That's why, you know, specific policies, I, I support an all-of-the-above approach when it comes to clean energy innovation, utilizing things like wind power, solar power, and nuclear power, things that keep our country and our world clean and without using fossil fuels. Uh, also, I believe we need to reform the outdated laws and regulations, like the 50-year-old National Environmental Policy Act that delays the deployment of these clean energy project, projects by years. But I genuinely believe that the only way we can achieve this is if we are able to afford it. Unfortunately, my opponent's policies, having more big government putting the, the gavel into Nancy Pelosi's hands, would mean that we will continue to be waterboarded with more and more debt to where we'll no longer be a shining city on the hill because the lights will be out because we can't afford to pay the bill. Thank you, Mr. Cawthorn. Mr. Davis, one minute. Well, on, on Charlie Kirk's show, my opponent said he talked, he talked this green talk here today on Charlie Kirk's show, he said, we get, can't let uh, the environment stand in the way of profitability. Uh, I don't believe in putting profit first, whether it's with COVID-19 or with the environment. I believe in being an adult and being responsible. And we have a responsibility to take care of the environment in this area that we live in. And we can do that. It's not pie in the sky. It exists today. We have green technology, solar, wind, that can provide clean energy and good jobs and I'd like to go to, to Washington and fight to extend the tax credits that the Trump administration and the Republicans are slowly peeling away. In the past, it was a 30% tax credit that made alternative energy affordable. This year, it's gone down to 26%. Next year, it's 22 until it's phased out. So I want to fight for our counties here that are high in poverty to bring good jobs here to Western North Carolina that are good for the economy and good for the environment. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Our next question will come again from Aisha Adams and will be directed to Mr. Mo Davis. Colonel Davis, you're running as the Democratic candidate, but if elected, you are everyone's congressman and you have to unite us. Give me two specific examples of how you will serve the needs of your Republican and third party constituents. Yeah, thank and you. And vice versa for Mass. All right. You know, when Mr. Cawthorn stood up at the Republican National Convention, he left a word out, and that was indivisible. I believe that we are indivisible. I think it's the other side that wants to divide us. By pandering to these fear tactics to scare people, uh, and I'm here to try to get us to road together. We're all in this together. So two things that I think we can work on uh, across the aisle. Number one is broadband. You know, 92% of Americans have access to high-speed broadband, 94% of North Carolinians. But we have areas in this district where it's less than 50%. And 
And that's an issue that impacts folks. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican or an unaffiliated voter. It's holding us back in a variety of areas. The economy. We can't bring good jobs here to this district if we don't have broadband. It's an essential utility like water and electricity, and they're not going to come if we don't have it. It holds us back educationally. When our kids got sent home when COVID-19 hit, which is not a hoax, a lot of them got sent home with a laptop. But if you're in one of those hollows where they don't have broadband, that laptop's a big paperweight. A lot of folks had never heard of telemedicine until COVID-19 hit. But if you don't have broadband, you can't use it. I'm a disabled veteran. I use the VA hospital. I want to fight to preserve the VA. It's another issue that cuts across the board. There's 65,000 veterans in this district, and many of them are Republicans and unaffiliated voters, not just Democrats. And I want to fight the effort to privatize the VA. The other side wants to find the profit margin in everything, from education to prisons to VA health care and now the post office. So I'm having my first telemedicine appointment with the VA next week. Since March 1st, the number of telemedicine appointments at the VA are up 1,000%. But if you're one of the 65,000 veterans in this district and you don't have broadband, you can't use that benefit. So I think those are a couple of issues where we can work across the aisle and do good things for everybody here in this district. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Two minutes, Mr. Cawthorn. Well, Aisha, I think that's an incredible question because you're absolutely right. We will be a representative of all people in Western North Carolina. And that's why I'm running on a message that doesn't uh, commit myself to the Republicans or to the Democrats. I'm running as someone who wants liberty for everyone. I want you to be able to live your life on your own means. I want to get these three-letter agencies out of your life and get the government out of your life. You know, I believe that the two-party system is forcing us more and more apart. But again, like I said, I want us to find the things that unite us because they are so much greater than what divides us. Uh, you know, my opponent and I actually do agree on one thing. We need more infrastructure in Western North Carolina, especially high-tech infrastructure so we can lead our country into uh, the, the high-tech economy that is taking place right now. That's why I support getting broadband all the way out to all of our western counties and more cell towers so people can have higher access to speeds. You know, there's multiple ways we can go about this. Uh, there's a, a tax incentives or there's a litany of different options the government can take to be able to make sure that every household in Western North Carolina and the country has access to broadband if they want it. Uh, you know what, my opponent continues to say that he is not going to support the party of AOC and he's not Nancy Pelosi, but unfortunately he will put the gavel into their hands if elected. And if we elect that party with the Green New Deal, as my, my, my opponent supports, we will be so in debt that we will be unable to actually execute on the fundamental role of government, which is to build a framework for all the people in the country and all the people in the private sector to be able to flourish through a higher level of infrastructure. That's why I am running to unite everybody. I want to bring the moderates. I want to bring the Democrats who feel like they have, the party of JFK is no longer theirs and it's left them. I want us all to come together and say that we are Americans. And, you know, I did have to leave the word indivisible out of my speech. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to say everything I wanted. If I could have, I would have gone on a very long story to tell everyone how great Western North Carolina is. But I will tell you, I'm a uniter, not a divider. I will hold this country together. Thank you, Mr. Cawthorn. Mr. Davis, one minute. I'm not sure how you unite with Democrats when you say every Democrat's a racist, uh, which is exactly what you said in the interview with Mr. Valancourt out in, uh, uh, when we were out at the... Uh, Back the blue march. Uh, that's just a fact. That's not uniting. That's dividing. That's divisible. 
It's dividing the country. And talk about debt. You know, we, we keep hearing about the tax and spend Democrats. You know, the Democrats have been the responsible party. The last time we had a budget surplus was when Bill Clinton was in office. Then we had George Bush came in and we had two wars and two tax cuts. And then the Great Recession. And then Barack Obama had to come in and get us out of the ditch. And then Trump comes in and we pass another tax cut. And he talks about the greatest economy ever that was adding a trillion dollars of debt every year. If you have a great economy, you're paying down the debt. So our debt now, it was $19.9 trillion when Donald Trump took office. And he was going to recall, pay off the debt. It's $26.7 trillion today. Thank you, Mr. Davis. And finally, Mr. Cawthorn, one minute. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, my, my opponent has accused me of not supporting the VA and not wanting to, wanting to find profits instead of helping our soldiers. But that is categorically false. I believe that if we can afford to send those brave men and women into combat, then we can damn well afford to bring them back home and take care of their every single need. And I want to find the best way to do that, whether that's allowing them to be able to go out of the VA system or if it's expanding the VA system as a whole. I believe that is one of the most important things. You know, the Republican Party is the party that has Rand Paul with his penny plan, which is a plan that will get us back on track with our balanced budget within 25 years. Whereas my opponent supports the Green New Deal, which, as I've said many times, will waterboard my generation with more and more debt to increase our debt by $51 trillion. It's unsustainable, and it's something that we cannot afford. And so I want to serve everyone in Western North Carolina by making sure that we have the profitability and the, the, the financial solvency to be able to afford to give them great infrastructure and great education. Thank you, Mr. Cawthorn. Our next question will come again from Pete Callender and will be directed to Mr. Cawthorn. Mr. Cawthorn, your opponent has criticized you for not wearing masks at your campaign events, calling them super spreader events. Joe Biden has promised to issue a national mask mandate if elected. So do you oppose mask mandates? Do you oppose wearing a mask? What is your view on COVID-19? Is it a hoax? I think your uh, opponent just mentioned that. Do you believe that this is real? And then, obviously, same question for Colonel Davis after. Uh, well, my fiance works in healthcare. You know, she is a physician's assistant who specializes in anesthesia as an anesthesiologist assistant. And so I know from talking to her, because she's actually been with the patients who are suffering from COVID-19, that it's no hoax. And I encourage every single one of the people inside of my party who come to my events to make the best decision that is best for them. You know, I don't believe in this one-size-fits-all, cookie-cutter form of government that we've seen for so long. Uh, but while my opponent will criticize me from ha for having a, an event that he's calling a super-spreader event, if I labeled it a protest, it appears that my opponent would have absolutely no problem with that. This is a photograph of my opponent in Asheville at a very, very large demonstration where he says that's just fine. Uh, I encourage every single one of my followers and people in the country that if you need to wear a mask, if you are in that, that area of your life where you may have a pre-existing condition or you're at an age where COVID-19 will greatly affect you, then I encourage you, please practice social distancing. Please wear a mask. And if I'm around you, I will, will wear a mask myself. Uh, but I believe that this rhetoric, this narrative that the Democrats are painting, that this is a binary choice. You either have to choose lives and lives and people, or you have to choose profits with the Republicans. It's a, it's a logical fallacy creating a false binary choice that I don't think actually exists. We have to make sure that we have a revivable economy once we come out of this once-in-a-century once pandemic event that is making all of Western North Carolina suffer. Uh, you know, I, I genuinely believe that we have got to be able to lower taxes and slash 
slash the regulations that are stifling business here in Western North Carolina, which is why I support things like expanding. And what we passed in 2017, which my opponent seems to want to criticize, is the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Reform Act, which actually has a, an, a section in it which is called an Opportunity Zone, made to help minority communities lift themselves up out of poverty. And so I, I'm very disappointed that my opponent stands against that. But I want to expand opportunity zones so that we can have an economy to come back to after this is all over. Thank you, Mr. Cawthorn. Mr. Davis, two minutes to you. Thanks. I'll just use a second to address the carpetbagger allegation that my opponent raises. You know, he's a, he criticizes me. I, I, I had boots on the ground in this district before he ever drew his first breath. And he's a big fan of Mark Meadows, who was born in France and raised in Florida. So it's convenient uh, to attack me for leaving to serve the country, which is something that Mr. Meadows never did, uh, and then to come back home. I believe in science, and we've, uh, you, can, you can look at what my opponent has said. I mean, he dismissed it early on that we we're making too much of COVID-19, that he wasn't seeing bodies stacked up in the streets. And you can look on his social media feed at his events and judge for yourself. He had the big event with Dan Forrest over July 4th. There are hundreds of people, not a mask in sight, people hugging each other. I prefer to get my advice from, from experts you know, who actually made it through college and know what they're talking about. And they say this is real. There are almost 190,000 Americans that have lost their lives. More than, uh, you know, we talk about the wars. Uh, this is a war. We're at war. We've got to buckle down and all pull together and do what we need to do to get through this. And we should have done it right from the beginning. And we'd be in a much better state than we are now. Over 200 people in this district have lost their lives to COVID-19. So I'm following the guidelines. I did go to an event, but I don't hold events unless they comply with the guidelines. It may hamper the campaign, but if you want to be in public service, the first thing you do is not put the public at risk. And I'm not going to do that to uh, pander to my ego or to try to win an election. So we're going to campaign responsibly. And we've got to get past this. We've got to get everybody pulling together. And we do. I mean, we, it, our economy is important, but we can help you rebuild your livelihood. We can't help you rebuild your life when you're gone. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Mr. Cawthorn, one minute. Oh, my opponent accuses me of being a, a big fan of Mark Meadows, and I do think that he was a good representative for me, but uh, my, my, my Meadows didn't even endorse me. So I, I'll tell you, I'm here to represent Western North Carolina. I'm not beholden to any PAC or any large endorsements. I'm beholden to the people of Western North Carolina. And speaking of the people of Western North Carolina, my, my opponent is attacking me for not finishing college. And it's true, after my accident, I went to work for Congressman Meadows, and then I went to college for one year outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, but after my first year was over, I, I looked and decided I don't need a degree to be able to accomplish the goals that I want in life. I don't want to get a job from anyone. I want to open my own company, which I successfully did back in 2019 in August, just very recently. Uh, but you know what? The people of Western North Carolina, and nationally, over 60% of our population does not have a college degree. And it's even higher here in this district. And so for my opponent to say that all these pipe fitters, these painters, the, the people who actually build things in our country uh, are not sophisticated enough to be able to shape public policy, I believe is a spit in the face of the majority of Americans. Thank you, Mr. Cawthorn. Mr. Davis, one minute. It's not a spit in the face. I, you know, if you need a pipe fitter, or if you need someone to fix your car, you don't go in and say, who has no education, training, or experience to do the job? 
Uh, when my opponent was getting ready to sue his friend, his mother called Debbie Meadows and asked for a recommendation on an attorney who had the education, training, and experience to do the job. It, it, you know, he wants to compare himself to James Madison. You know, to paraphrase Lloyd Benson, I didn't know James Madison, but you, sir, know James Madison. James Madison graduated from college. He was a colonel before he went to Congress. He was 38 years old when he got to Congress, and that was back in the day when the average life expectancy was 39. So I take offense at, uh, I'm not poking at folks that, that didn't graduate college. There are great jobs out there. But to say that, uh, hey, who's never done this before? Let's send him in. He can figure out how to do it. This isn't Jimmy Stewart, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. We live in the real world, and we're in trouble right now, and you need somebody that knows what they're doing. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Our next question will come again from Mark Barrett, and this will also be directed to Mr. Davis. What is your view of the concerns about law enforcement's treatment of blacks and other people of color, including deaths like that of George Floyd, that have sparked so many protests around the country this year? What, if anything, do you think we as a nation and in Congress should be doing about these concerns? Yeah, that's a, a really good question and an important one right now. Uh, I support, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I attended uh, Black Lives Matter marches and I've attended Back the Blue events because if you represent the district, you represent the entire district. I don't condone violence on either side. It really bothered me, particularly here. You know, folks in this area are, are struggling because of COVID-19. And for small businesses to be vandalized on top of that is just inexcusable. But my background's in law enforcement. I was in the first class at Appalachian State to graduate with a degree in criminal justice, and I worked in law enforcement training. I'm a graduate of the North Carolina Justice Academy down in Salemburg, where I graduated from the law enforcement instructor training course. So my background's in law enforcement, and I support it. Uh, I really regret whoever came up with the label uh, defund the police did a huge disservice. Uh, it was an uncontested layup for the other side and uh, they've taken advantage of that. What I would support, what I do support, is I think in every agency we ought to be constantly reimagining what the agency is doing, what are the roles and missions that we want them to be doing today and tomorrow, and I think that applies in law enforcement as well. It always bothered me in the military, you get to a new assignment and you saw something that didn't make sense and you'd say why are we doing that way and often it was well we've always done it that way and we've been doing law enforcement that way for too long I think there, there are missions that we put on law enforcement similar to what we've done with teachers that are in addition to what we really want them to do so I think issues like mental health and alcoholism and drug addiction should be treated as health issues and not criminal justice issues so I'd love to see us reimagining law enforcement and looking at what our communities want our law enforcement professionals to do. Uh, and again, I think the uh, defund the police label was a horrible label, and I certainly don't support that concept. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Mr. Uh, Cawthorn, two minutes, please. Indeed. Uh, you know what? I'll tell you, I'll answer your, your question in reverse order. I genuinely believe that we have got to treat every single person in this country with dignity, honor, and respect. I, of course, I believe that black lives matter. Uh, you know, I, I actually it, I'm un, was unhappy with the way that the president treated the death of George Floyd and the lack of empathy he showed after that death happened. 
And so I genuinely believe that we should always hold each other to a higher standard. And I think that the police and the law enforcement officials in Western North Carolina, who over 14 of the 17 sheriffs in Western North Carolina are backing my candidacy instead of my opponents, because they know that I have their backs in law enforcement. They're all more than happy to hold themselves to a higher standard. They believe that everyone should be held to a higher standard. And I think that that's great. I think that we need to have a level of personal responsibility to be able to self-govern ourselves, to be able to lead ourselves in the way that needs to be led. Uh, but my opponent made an attack in the, uh, after, on the end of the last question, saying that if you're going to send your car to the shop, don't you want an experienced mechanic, someone who's done this before? Well, I'll tell you, if what we needed in Washington, D.C. was another liberal lawyer, then our car would have been fixed quite a long time ago. I represent myself as an outsider. I'm someone who wants to come in to disrupt the system, to represent Western North Carolina and its values on the national stage so that we can make the Congress work for us again, not for liberal lawyers who want to disguise their views and hide what they actually believe. Uh, you know what? My opponent at a fundraiser with his liberal friends you know, said that he wants to ban all assault rifles, but he can't actually say that out loud because then what would happen is the red voters wouldn't vote for him. He wants to get rid of private health insurance within the next 10 years by introducing a public option, but he can't say that out loud in public because then he wouldn't get elected. And so when my opponent touts that he stands against defunding the police, I have a hard time believing that because many members of his party who he would give power to, like AOC and Nancy Pelosi, have released press statements saying that when they say defund the police, they literally mean it. The Democrats, when you are dealing with your ex-husband and you dial 911 and he's pounding on the door, they want on the other end of that phone to be a social worker, not someone who's put a bulletproof vest on and wants to protect your life. I'm Matt Bush, and we now bring you parts of the second forum, which was held the following day, September 5th, at Western Carolina University's main campus in Cullowee. It followed the same format, and the panelists this time around were Dr. Chris Cooper and Dr. Edward Lopez of Western Carolina University, and Principal Chief Richard Sneed of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. Our first question of the night will come from panelist Chris Cooper, and that will be directed to Mr. Davis. It's no secret that rural broadband, or the lack thereof, is a problem in our district and in districts like ours. Early this summer, Congress introduced the Rural Broadband Acceleration Act to try to address these problems, but the bill never made it out of committee. What is your view of Congress's role in securing rural broadband access, and what specific policies would you propose or support to meet this critical need for our region? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question, and one that impacts folks in this district, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, or unaffiliated voters. I mean, the truth is we're behind, and that's a key area where we're, we're behind in broadband. 14 of the 17 counties in this district are above the national average in poverty. All 17 counties are above the national average in the percentage of folks that don't have health care coverage. Our kids rank in the bottom third of the country in math and reading skills, and broadband plays a factor in all of those. We can't recruit industry with good paying jobs to come here if we don't have broadband. It's an essential utility like water and electricity, and if we don't have it, they're not gonna come. Our kids, when COVID-19 hit, many were sent home from school with a laptop. But if you're up in one of the hollows where you don't have broadband, that laptop is a big paperweight. And a lot of folks had never heard the term telemedicine until COVID-19 hit. But again, if you're in one of our counties, where you don't have broadband, you can't use telemedicine. 92% of Americans have access to broadband and 94% of North Carolinians, but we've got places here in Western North Carolina, counties where it's less than 50%. 
There's a bill that was introduced recently by Representative, Representative Jim Clyburn from South Carolina that I would like to go to Washington and help support. It's based on the rural electrification plan from the 1930s that brought electricity to many of our rural counties. It's an $80 billion bill, which is a lot of money, but it's necessary to bring that to the areas that are behind and need it to get into the modern age. I know my opponent supports uh, bringing in corporations with incentives. One of the reasons we have the broadband problem that we do is because of Tom Tillis. When he was in the state legislature, he passed a law that prohibits municipalities from forming cooperatives to bring in broadband because he wanted big companies like AT&T and Time Warner to profit. But I support the bill to deliver broadband to our rural communities and bring Western North Carolina into the 21st century. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Mr. Cawthorn, two minutes, please. Well, I believe this is a very critical, important issue for us to tackle. Uh, you know, when we're talking about telelearning, there was a mother I was speaking to inside of uh, McDowell County one time. And she was telling me now that her children had gotten to go home in the last semester during the spring semester of last year. Uh, she said now that her children had to go home, they were unable to be able to connect to the internet, to be able to do their school. So that means she would have to come home from work early to pick her children up to go sit outside of a McDonald's just so that her children could connect to the Wi-Fi so that they could get their homework done. That is absurd. We live in the greatest, most prosperous nation on the planet. We should have all of the luxuries of that being so. Uh, you know, the 19, in the 1930s, during parts of the, the New Deal, we did have the opportunity to be able to pass an Electrification Act. We can also look at doing something like that in this particular regards. Also, we can offer tax incentives to people to come inside of this district to be able to lay that extra mile of fiber optic cable so we can have broadband access in all of these hollows where we're not able to get it. You know, I believe that is actually the role of government, and it's the role of a conservative government. I don't want the government to be in charge of all these three-letter agencies to become a fourth branch of, our, of our, na our national government that is telling us what to do and when we can do it. I want to pull our government back, but I do believe it is the role of our government to create the framework for the private sector to be able to flourish. And if we want to entice new jobs to come in here where we can create competitive pricing for the job market so we can have w higher wages for our people, then we have got to invest in infrastructure. And I believe that infrastructure is the greatest bang for our buck we can make as an investment as a country. And so that is why I am such a strong proponent of investing in high-tech infrastructure so we can enter into the high-tech economy that is emerging right now. Unfortunately, the least bang for our buck we could possibly have is the Green New Deal, a system that my opponent fervently pushes for and wants to have, which would put us down with $51 trillion of debt. And it's money we simply don't have to spend. It needs to be spent on infrastructure. Thank you, Mr. Cawthorn. One minute to Mr. Davis. Yeah, I think we're in agreement. There's a shortage of broadband where we are, and it's holding us back. I met people today up in Burnsville that are here from other states, and they're there because there's broadband. They can telework. You know, we found that the economy, our new economy that we're in now, that many jobs can be performed from sites away from the workplace. And there are a lot of people, we, uh, Mr. Cawthorn and I were with the Board of Realtors not long ago, and they said their problem is a shortage of supply. Because people are moving here. They're learning that if they can work from home, they might as well live in a beautiful place like where we are. And it's broadband that makes that possible. And we've got to make sure we extend that to the rural counties that are hurting where poverty is high. 
I'm a disabled veteran. I use the VA hospital and I'm having my first telemedicine appointment. Telemedicine appointments at the VA are up a thousand percent since March the 1st. But if you're one of the 65,000 veterans in this district and you're in one of the areas that doesn't have broadband, you can't use that benefit. We've got to fix that. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Mr. Cawthorn, one minute. I believe one way we would be able to have more money in each of our individual counties is because we have so much federal land, especially in these far western counties of our district, I believe we need to reform the formula we use for PILT money, which is payment in lieu of taxes. I believe that would give more money to the local governments, which would have a better representation of what those counties need. And so I am all for having some of your taxes that the government takes way too much of sent either back to your pocket or back into the counties where they belong so that we can have the infrastructure we need. I think it's absolutely critical. Unfortunately, if we were to enact the Democrats' plan of the Green New Deal like a with what AOC and MOE want to do, we would not have the money to be able to accomplish that. Thank you, Mr. Cawthorn. Our second question of the night will come from Richard G. Sneed, Principal Chief of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. Thank you and good evening. The United States is facing a tumultuous time dealing with race-based issues, particularly relating to police reform. Native nations across the U.S. experience an increased rate of domestic violence, rape, and kidnapping. On some reservations, federal studies have shown women are killed at a rate of over 10 times the national average. Mm. First, do you plan to support the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women's Act when it comes before Congress again? And secondly, how does the protection of missing and murdered indigenous women fit into your police reform agenda? I'll tell you, when it comes to police reform, as almost every single sheriff in our district and the law enforcement community has endorsed me, I know that we have a high quality level of law enforcement officers. And I know that they don't shy away from an issue. They're more than happy to be held to a higher standard, whether it's having more body cameras or having you know, higher pay so that they can have more training so they can handle issues better. Uh, you know, If that act does come up that protects women from domestic violence, that's uh, something I would be more than willing to vote for. The reason is, is because I believe it is the duty of the government to protect the weak. And if there is a woman or a man, for that matter, who is in facing a situation where they're facing domestic abuse or violence of any kind, I believe it's the role of the government to step in and protect them. Uh, when it comes to police reform, I would like to see a higher level of intervention when it comes to these domestic violence issues. Let's have more wellness checks. We're, you know, we just have our friendly neighborhood sheriff deputies. Come knock on your doors, make sure everything's going okay at your house. I believe that's something that we should all push for and we should all want because anytime that there is violence going on, silence is, is not an answer. And since we're talking about race-based issues and racial tensions that are going on all across our country, you know, of course I do believe that black lives matter. I believe that everyone should be treated with honor, dignity, and respect. And so I'm very thankful for the law enforcement officers that are all over our district who keep us safe every single day. And in my opening statement, I, I talked about safety and security. And that's something that we all crave, whether we're a, a Native American tribe or whether we are, live in Henderson County. I believe that that's something that we need and crave to have a good and prosperous community. And so that's what I want to push for, to make all of us feel safer so we can raise families in the America that we all know and love. Thank you, Mr. Cawthorn. Mr. Davis, two minutes, please. Well, I support the Violence Against Women's Act. It was uh, the Republicans that voted it down, that showed their disregard for women. I'm, I'm proud to be endorsed by the National Organization for Women, and I believe that everyone should be treated equally. I also respect the, uh, the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indian sovereignty 
and your right to your own determination on your property and your own schools and your own law enforcement and your own laws that are enforced on, on your property. But certainly violence against women uh, is an issue. We heard last night uh, you know, about Mr. Cawthorn being accused of sexual misconduct when he was in college where he stuck his hand up a young lady's skirt without her consent. Uh, that's deplorable. It's not acceptable, and things like that uh, can't be tolerated in our society if we're going to treat people equally. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or black or white or a member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians or otherwise. Everybody deserves to be treated equally. I don't use the N-word to refer to my friends. I know Mr. Cawthorn explained that he used it in a positive way, but I don't recall there being a positive way to use the N-word, so I don't use it. So I support equal rights. I'm proud to be endorsed by Equality NC. And I've got a record. Uh, unlike my opponent, I've lived and I've got a record. And you can look at it. I was a judge at the Department of Labor and I've got a record of standing up for people and for their rights and making sure that they're treated fairly. And I'm proud of that. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Mr. Cawthorn, one minute. Uh, again, here goes another liberal lawyer using more personal attacks instead of policy. Uh, but, sir, if you do want to talk about your record, which you tout so often, and you say you're excited to take it to Washington, D.C., that makes me deeply concerned. Uh, you have decided to defend instead of prosecute when your sole role inside of Guantanamo Bay was to be a prosecutor, to defeat the enemies of the United States of America rather than defending terrorists. But on your own volition, because you had a disagreement with some of your superior officers and wanted to get back at them, you decided to defend terrorists who have killed sons and daughters of our country. You decided to protect Mohamedou Slahi, the chief recruiter for the 9-11 attack. You decided to protect Omar Qadir, an Al-Qaeda operative who brutally murdered one U.S. medic and injured another. This is Christopher Spear, a man who my opponent decided to defend Omar Qadir, who threw a grenade which killed this brave American soldier who was trying to protect all of us. So, sir, if you would like to tout your record, I say that is precisely the reason we should not vote for you. We do not need another liberal lawyer who stands up for the rights of terrorists instead of the rights of Americans. Mr. Davis, one minute. Well, I know folks out there have slammed one down now. Uh, I haven't kept count of the lies that have been told so far. Let me first address this uh, about mountain values. I was born in Shelby just down the road. I went to college at Appalachian State. I lived in Avery County, which is in the district in 1978, which I believe was 17 years before my opponent ever drew his first breath. So I've had boots on the ground here for a long time. You want to talk about carpetbaggers, how about Richard Burr? How about Dan Forrest? How about Mark Meadows? How about Tom Tillis? Everyone born outside of North Carolina, and you support all of them. I'm proud to be from North Carolina, and I'm proud of my record at Guantanamo. Again, you can take a look at it and uh, get past the lies that my opponent tells, because he has no record, so he has to attack mine. I don't appreciate stolen valor, and veterans don't. I didn't defend terrorists. I defended American values and the rule of law, and I'd do it again tomorrow. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Our third question of the evening will come from Edward Lopez, director of the Center for the Study of Free Enterprise here at Western Carolina University. Thank you. My question as an economist is on your views about public debt. As you go to Washington and consider legislation that would increase spending or offer tax breaks in a way that would add to federal debt, my question is how do you think about where those dollars, where those borrowed dollars come from? 
and what things can't be done with those dollars because they're going to items that are in the legislation before you. Many people think that this is an important issue because of the rapid and historically uh, rising levels of federal debt. The Congressional Budget Office, the nonpartisan group, and many other analysts have warned about the consequences of this. But on the other hand, um, we've had these decades of rising debt, and those consequences have not materialized. Yields are low, interest rates are not, do not seem to be bothered, there is no fiscal crisis, and the thought of a currency crisis seems fanciful. So it's possible maybe that the level of debt isn't so bad, maybe it's about right, if not possibly too low. Is this the view that you will take with you to Washington? And what can you say to the people of District 11 about how those federal borrowed dollars, where they come from? Thank you. Thank you. That's a great question. It's one that certainly has a, a big impact on young folks because they're going to be saddled with the debt that we leave behind. Uh, President Trump and, and my opponent like to brag about the great economy they created. Uh, that economy was a sugar high. And if you have a great economy, you pay the debt down. President Trump passed tax cuts for the rich and for big corporations that had minimal impact on working folks uh, here in this district. And in doing that, they added a trillion dollars a year to the national debt. If you remember, President Trump promised he was going to eliminate the national debt. And it was going to be easy. But when he took office, the national debt was $19.9 trillion. Today, it's $26.7 trillion. Much of that was incurred before COVID-19 with those tax cuts that helped you know, the rich and people like Mr. Cawthorn. As I said, the Trump economy was great for Madison Avenue and Madison Cawthorn. Wasn't so great for Madison County where poverty is high and people work for a living. They don't earn their money off the New York Stock Exchange like my multimillionaire opponent does. So I believe in being fiscally responsible. I have a, a master's degree in government procurement and fiscal policy and I taught the Air Force fiscal law course. I worked with Ike Skelton when he was the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee on procurement reform, and I think our fiscal policy is upside down. It's driven from the top down, not from the bottom up, and we're forced to spend tens of billions of dollars on things that we don't want and we don't need. And we can be more prudent in the way we spend our money. I don't think we have a revenue problem, we have a spending problem. My opponent supports a balanced budget amendment. I don't. There are times when it's appropriate for the government to incur debt and run a deficit. Times like the times we're in now, when people are struggling, or during the Great Recession. But when times are good, we need to pay down the debt. I read uh, Professor Lopez's article that he had written on the evolution of federal budget rules and the effects of fiscal policy, co-authored in 2015, when he talked about how informal budget rules that favor increased spending and deficit has become a policy norm. It shouldn't be that way. You know, we spend more money on defense and more money on health care than any country in the world, and we can do it better and more effectively. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Mr. Cawthorn, two minutes, please. Uh, I believe that my opponent must have gone to school at Hogwarts rather than in Hendersonville, because if he believes he can pay down the national debt with his current plan for student loan debt, then he's living in a magical fantasy land. My opponent's plan is that he would like for the government to assume all of the student loan debt that is currently out there right now, which means on day one, my opponent would have the country assume another $1.6 trillion in debt, which is money that we just cannot afford to take, take under. He wants to do this without charging any interest on the loans that he's going to charge out, which means it would completely undercut our current loan system, and the, gov the country would lose out on money no matter what. 
I believe that the national debt is the greatest national security risk that we can possibly face. I believe it's something that needs to be attacked head on. And yes, I do believe that we need to have a balanced budget amendment on the Constitution, but I also believe that it needs to have a, a caveat to where if we are at wartime or an emergency time, we can borrow more money to go into deficit spending, because sometimes that is necessary. I believe that the number one way we can start to pay down our debt is to create a better economy. And I believe the Republican plan is the only way to do that. One that just lowers taxes and puts more of your money into your pocket. One that can reduce the welfare state so we're not having to spend so much money over a 12-year period so we wean people off of welfare. Uh, you know, I think Ronald Reagan said it best when he said, the best welfare we can possibly give an American is a job. I believe the best way we can do that is to encourage more investment to allow more jobs to come into the area so we can have more, a more competitive job market, which would increase wages and give the people who are requiring welfare now a way to make their own money. I believe that it is absolutely imperative that we do not saddle future generations, my generation, my children's generation, with debt that they did not spend, but they have to deal with the consequences of. This is an existential threat to our country, and we need to fix it. I'm Matt Bush, and thanks for joining us for BPR News Presents, North Carolina 11th Congressional District Candidate Forum. You can watch the full two forums with Republican Madison Cawthorn and Democrat Mo Davis anytime on the Blue Ridge Public Radio Facebook page. Absentee mail-in voting has already started in North Carolina to request a ballot. You can go to the State Board of Elections website, which is ncsbe.gov. You can also register to vote there and check to see if your previous registration still holds. Again, that's ncsbe.gov. The deadline to register to vote on Election Day itself is October 9th. Early voting in North Carolina begins October 15th and runs through October 31st. Same-day voter registration is available during the early voting period, but not on Election Day, November 3rd. We give a big thank you to Western Carolina University for hosting us for our candidate forums, as well as to our partners at Smoky Mountain News and Mountain Express. And I personally want to thank Corey Valancourt for taking the lead in organizing the forums, and to Duncan Fowler, Matt Pikin, and Jason Reed for all their technical help. The best way for listeners to support these kind of events and reporting? Pay for your journalism. We're in our fall membership drive right now at Blue Ridge Public Radio, and you can ensure this kind of content continues with a gift at BPR.org or by calling 828-210-4810. I'm Matt Bush, and thanks for listening.